for resources. And there I saw how federal funding can help support sustainable development for tribes and local economies. These visits underscored why the investments we're about to discuss are so very important. With these investments, like the American Rescue Plan, we are helping tribal homeowners stay in their homes and pay their utility bills. Infrastructure funding is available to improve culverts and help salmon get to spawning grounds. The Inflation Reduction Act is supporting hatchery operations and maintenance. We're looking to you to help us do even more, to lower barriers to access these funds and ensure that our programs are tailored to meet the actual needs tribal leaders like you have identified. With the leadership of my colleagues, Gene Sperling, Mitch Landrieu, and John Podesta, and many others across the Biden administration, in close consultation with tribes, we're going to keep working to ensure that these investments deliver transformational results for tribal nations for generations to come. Now I'm looking forward to hearing from these excellent panelists. Thank you all very much. Uh, my colleagues here on the panel, uh, Jean Sperling. Jean is our uh, American Rescue Plan coordinator and senior advisor to the president. That means he has the tremendous responsibility for overseeing the nearly two billion, excuse me, two trillion dollars. <laughs> Get my B's and T's confused. Uh, in emergency legislative funding that came with the COVID relief package and our efforts to recover from the pandemic. Um, and spur uh, economic recovery. Gene is a veteran uh, of the Clinton and Obama administrations, um, like uh, several of us on this panel, uh, and an extraordinary uh, public servant. It's great to have you as part of this. Um, we also have Mitch Landrieu, who is senior advisor to the president and infrastructure coordinator. He's in charge of making sure that the historic bipartisan infrastructure law is implemented efficiently and effectively, as well as equitably. Um, as mayor of New Orleans for eight years, Mitch played a major role in the recovery from Hurricane Katrina and dealing with the uh, BP oil spill. Mitch knows firsthand what it means to deliver for communities and make things work at the local level. So Mitch, we're grateful to have you with us as well. And then John Podesta. John Podesta is the veteran of veterans here. <laughs> Uh, John is the White House coordinator for the Inflation Reduction Act, a, a role to which he brings enormous uh, experience in tackling climate change uh, and decades of advancing uh, this agenda. John, too, uh, is a veteran of the Clinton and Obama administrations, uh, like myself. Um, three of us go way, way back. Uh, John served as counselor to President Obama and as chief of staff uh, to President Clinton and he founded the Center for American Progress. And I'm also extremely excited to be joined by two uh, wonderful tribal leaders. Kat Brigham is the chairwoman of the Confederated Tribes of the Umatala Indian Reservation. So Jean, let me begin with you. Um, and if you would start by telling us how American Rescue Plan funding has been invested in Indian country How's the federal government gone about ensuring that the funds are actually invested to meet the needs of tribal communities? Well, thank you. And, and listen, we have all been part of three 
uh, or several of us have been part of three administrations. But, but um, I, I do think it, it really says something that President Biden believes so strongly, which he tells all of us every day, which is passing the legislation, you don't get to, you don't get to just congratulate yourself then. If it doesn't reach the people it's intended to do, you have not succeeded. And that is why this administration, more than anyone, has focused on implementation and focused on the outreach. Now, the 30, what we calculate now, that $32 billion has gone directly to tribal governments, $32 billion. Now, that's the $20 billion from the state, local, uh, and tribal fund, which is the most significant, what we've spent the most time. But it's been $6 billion on Indian Health Services. It's been $1.2 billion for child care. There's about as much money has gone on emergency rental assistance as went to the whole country under the previous, uh, uh, you know, after the Great Recession. So I could go on through the different amounts, but it includes, you know, $500 million for the Housing Assistance Fund, another $500 million for the Indian uh, 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 Housing Block Grant, uh, $500 million for education for schools. Um, this has been extremely significant. And the one thing I really just want to stress is these are the funds that have gone to you all in responsibility directly. It does not count the amount that just went to individuals. And I have to mention one area, because it's one that I think we're all proud of. The Enhanced Child Tax Credit, $3,000, fully refundable, regardless of income, for every child 6 to 17 and 3,600 under six years old has been a game changer. Uh, it is a shame that poverty, uh, child poverty, uh, in, in, your, in Indian country was at over 15%. It is under 7.5% because of this. It was cut in half. Child poverty was cut in half in one year by the child tax credit. And that is not even counted in the 32 billion. So Susan, I, I could go on more because there's a lot in the 32 billion. And uh, you know, I wanna, you know, I think in the, as, the, as it continues, talk a little about the flexibility. But the only thing I just wanna say in advance of that is these were all brand new things. When we did f changes, flexibility, this wasn't stuff we invented around a table. This was because we were doing outreach and nobody was being shy in telling us what was going wrong, what were the obstacles. And so the things that were fixed were not some ingenious work of our policy councils. It was from reaching out and listening and where we could within the law, making the adjustments we could. But I, but I think we'll talk about that in more detail later. Thank you, Gene. I'd like now to ask President Gravel and uh, Chair Brigham to give us a sense from your perspective of how these ARP funds have impacted your communities and what challenges have you faced in accessing and spending these funds. We really want to understand the, not just the pluses but the, the minuses so that we can work to address them more effectively. So 
please, if you would, beginning with the, you, uh, please go ahead. Uh, thank you, Susan. And um, for Bay Mills Indian community, the story is a story that was felt by every tribal leader here today. And I wanna take a moment to congratulate all of you for getting through the COVID-19 pandemic in the face of the unknown and all of the fears that we had to endure on our council, protecting our people, not knowing what was coming next. When ARP came down, it was after tribes had experienced an economic collapse because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And when we were examining the American Rescue Plan um, Act funds, we really wanted to look at where had we failed previously in that economic collapse? What could we do differently moving forward and how we could utilize that money to make the appropriate investments so that we could secure our future so that if there's ever another pandemic, and I hope there never is, we would be prepared again so that we wouldn't face that type of devastation. And so we used the money in order to make critical infrastructure upgrades in our health center, purchase the appropriate equipment necessary so that we wouldn't be lending equipment from IHS or borrowing equipment from other tribes. We made investments into housing because we found that you can't really isolate with multi-generational families in, in a single home or sharing a single bedroom. We needed to make critical upgrades to our water and sewer infrastructure so that people were able to stay clean and wash their hands. And so when we received those funds, we took a critical look at what happened in the pandemic and then wanted to make those sufficient upgrades. And we did that by collecting all of our governmental departments and asking them what their needs were. Where did you see those failures? How could we find improvements? What could we invest this money in that would make our tribe better and service our people better well into the future? And we were able to create a strategic plan with that in implementing a lot of infrastructure upgrades. Bay Mills is a construction zone now because of the ARP funds. Um, you can't turn a corner without seeing some type of infrastructure development taking place, which is the blessing of these funds and what we've been able to utilize with it. Thank you so much. President Gravel, please tell us about your experience. Okay, first of all, too, I wanna say, look at everybody and say, we are survivors. We survived. Yes, we did. <laughs> uh, and because of the pandemic, it, we, this is a lot of history kind of repeating itself, but the pandemic helped us draw ourselves together to figure out what the next steps are on how we are going to survive. I mean, the funding helped us with our home, uh, people who couldn't go to work, who couldn't go to pay their rent, who couldn't pay their bills. I mean, we did a lot of things. We provided services for those who were in need of it. And we were very grateful for the funding that we received because we didn't have to uh, make things worse. We were trying to make things better. And one of the things that we did uh, after surviving, we started looking at what, what we need to do to move forward. And so one of the things we're looking at doing is looking at our wastewater treatment center for, this, for the Confederated Tribes of the Umatilla Indian Reservation. All our wastewater goes to the city of Pendleton, and we pay a huge 
fee for that happening. And so when we get our own wastewater treatment, we'll be able to operate ourselves. And we're not looking at it to make money. We're looking at it to provide services to our tribal community. The other thing is we're looking at a wellness center. We found that, you know, community involvement, community participation is something that we really need. And we've always needed it. But now with the funding, we're going to do the planning that is needed. But the concerns we have is the timeframes. We've got a lot of things that we got to get done within the next two years. And uh, spending, obligating it and spending it are something that we are very concerned about. So we might, we all, I'm just going to say we would support an extension <laughs> simply because we're, we're going to do our best, but we may not be able to make the time and we sure don't want to give you the money back. <laughs> Gene, could you tell us, like, what, what do we do about these deadlines? So I think all of us who are dealing with the implementation, uh, we love our laws, but we also know we are confined by legislation at times. And so I think whether you're Mitch or John or I or Susan, you are trying to look for where you have administrative flexibility. And that's where we've been able to do the most positive things. There are a couple of places in the law where you know, we are limited by the law itself. And in those cases, we want to do whatever we can to work through it, but we're willing to support things. So for example, the emergency rental assistance, uh, many people would like an extension. Uh, that requires legislation. I will say without ambiguity, I support that extension. I think you do need more time on the emergency rental assistance. On the issue you're talking about, just to, you know, we won't go too much in the weeds, but just to say the following. You have to obligate the funds by the end of 2024. That is in the law. But it doesn't have to be actually liquidated or spent to the end of 2026. So I think what we have to do, on the assumption that we won't be able to extend the law, is work with you all as well as possible on meeting that obligation deadline by the 24th. So I really want to make clear, if you have obligated that funds to that contractor who's building that by the end of 2024, you have two more years to actually spend down the money. So I think what this means is that us and you, all, and, you and Treasury Department need to do whatever we can to get that obligation done by the end of 2024, and then you have two more years to actually spend down the funds. So, uh, so again, we should work together within the existing law, and if we see an opportunity for extension, then legislative extension, that's harder, but we can try. Uh, Gene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gene, Gene, give everybody your email address, because I'm sure that uh, there, there are others with the same concern. Uh, let me turn now to the bipartisan infrastructure law and the Inflation Reduction Act and my uh, colleagues, uh, Mitch and, and John. Um, and if you could just begin, uh, Mitch, by telling us, and then uh, John the same, how the infrastructure law uh, resources will or could be invested uh, in Indian country? What are the biggest opportunities out there? And how can tribes 
best avail themselves of these resources um, that, so that they can transform their communities. Madam Ambassador, thank you so much. And it, it's so great to, to be with all of you. Anytime I walk into this building, I come with a, a, a great sense of gratitude um, because I, it's, one of the, it's one of the departments that just has a, has a big heart. And primarily because of my incredible friend, Deb Holland, who I love, who I've had the opportunity to travel with. And I'm just, Deb, thank you for your, for your leadership and thanks for having me here today. We, we, when we talk about the bipartisan infrastructure law, when it was originally passed, um, other than the, um, the American Rescue Plan that Gene just talked about today, we had not yet passed the Inflation Reduction Act, nor had we passed the CHIPS bill. When you look at all four of them together as one big idea, it really is President Biden's commitment to America to build from the bottom up and the middle out, and as Susan said, with a lens on equity to not leave anybody behind. And within that framework, the most exciting thing about the idea of this being a once-in-a-generation opportunity, it's got two parts to that. One, we haven't done it in a long, long time. The last time that we did anything this big was FDR um, or may, maybe Eisenhower. So in that sense, it's a once-in-a-generation uh, event. But it's also only a once-in-a-generation opportunity because, as Gene said, some of this stuff is circumscribed by time, which means we have to get after it. Uh, the second thing is that since I've been here, I have just been overwhelmed um, in a wonderful way by the president's commitment, by the nation-to-nation -nation relationship that he committed to the tribal nations. And I think that all of you would agree with me that he has lived up um, to that word. I know that he came yesterday. He actually, uh, I thought, gave a fantastic speech about it. And this president has put his money where his mouth is in all of these bills. The one that I'm responsible for helping implement in partnership with all of the folks on is the infrastructure piece. So this is $1.2 trillion, all right? It's, it's roads, bridges, airports, ports, waterways, high-speed internet. So as the president said, there doesn't need to be a young child on tribal land sitting there not having access to her future because she doesn't have the technology to do the work that's necessary. Clean air, clean water, and then a new clean energy economy. That's the breadth of the bill. Now, when Congress passed this bill, it gave some of the money to the governors, and everybody that lives in states that have governors, that would be everybody, has to access some of the funds that way, and everybody can do that. But it's also true that he created um, a competitive side of this program. And in both of these areas, one of the things that the president fought really hard for was to make sure that there were a specific amount of money set aside just for tribal communities. And as Susan said in her opening, that's $13 billion. $3 billion has already been announced. So we've been in business one year. Um, we have pushed $185 billion out, $3 billion to tribal communities. And, of course, there's a tranche of that left because this is a three, five, seven-year program. Um, just a couple of things. $578 million has already been announced for roads and bridges. 212,000 households have already signed up for the Affordable Connectivity Program. GetInternet.gov. Anybody? can get it. If you live in anywhere below 200% or below of the poverty level, basically high-speed internet is free. We have to lay fiber optic cable all across the country, and the Department of Commerce and Gina Raimondo's team is working on that, and we're helping coordinate that in partnership with Secretary Holland and Secretary Vilsack uh, in the Department of Agriculture. Just this week, we announced $130 million for the relocation of 11 tribes. Um, that I think that, that many of you saw announcing $70 million again this year for tribal broadband. So our team and the teams here are actually getting, it, getting out there 
making it happen and make sure that we're as accessible to you. I've done a number of different um, uh, meetings with Deb and the tribal communities to make sure that you know how to access the work that we have. We've produced a document at build, B-U-I-L-D dot gov. And within that document, there is a specific set aside that's called the tribal playbook that has every program that's available to all tribal communities. One of the ones that you mentioned earlier that I'm, I'm really, um, all of them I'm interested in, but in the Department of Health and Human Services, there's $3 billion that's dedicated to funding sanitation services in tribal communities across um, the entire land, which we think um, may not be completely sufficient, but it is close to 100% of what it is that we need. So we continue to look forward to working with all of you, and I'd be happy to answer questions as we get into uh, the second portion of the day. Thank, Thank you, you, Mitch. John? Thanks, Susan. Uh, and it's a pleasure to be here, and it's a pleasure to be in, in uh, Secretary Hallen's house. Uh, so how fitting it is to have this uh, conference here. Um, well, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act uh, is simply the largest investment in uh, to advance clean energy, to tackle the crisis of climate change, to promote environmental justice, and to cut uh, consumer costs that's, that's ever passed uh, uh, the United States Congress. It was a commitment the president made from day one. Uh, as Mitch noted, it was part of an overall economic strategy to rebuild this country, uh, to do it with uh, equity and justice at the heart of the uh, set of ideas that were uh, in, the, uh, in, in the program. And uh, unlike the, the other two bills, it took a long time to get done. Uh, the bill sort of died a uh, hundred deaths before finally passing in 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 August of this year, uh, but when it did pass, as I said, it's the largest uh, commitment to dealing with the crisis the crisis of climate change, which I think everyone in this room is already feeling and experiencing, from the twelve hundred year historic drought in the Southwest to uh, the loss of uh, coastal resilience uh, in the Northwest, in the Gulf, uh, in uh, Alaska Native villages. It has programs that, are, are that uh, have direct grant money that go to tribes, loan programs, uh, and tax provisions. And I want to just say a little bit of word about the last uh, in, a, in a second. Uh, but it's intended to benefit uh, communities that have often been overlooked, uh, with particular emphasis on tribes. There's a number of uh, like the bipartisan infrastructure law, there's a number of, pro of provisions in the law, $700 million uh, in funding. Uh, I used to think $379 billion was a lot of money until I sat with these guys who are spending $2 trillion and $1.2 But there's $700 million uh, in direct funding for tribes uh, from uh, programs on tribal resilience, uh, including fish and hatchery operations that Susan mentioned. Uh, money to uh, a rebate program to electrify homes uh, in Indian country, $150 million uh, to uh, provide uh, uh, clean electricity to people who have no electricity, who still are suffering from energy poverty, uh, $12.5 million of direct drought uh, assistance relief for, uh, for the effects of the current drought. Um, there's... Uh, the bill supports, will support over $20 billion in Indian country of loans to do energy projects. Uh, but I think the, 
difference between the IRA and the other bills we've been talking about is the bulk of the money is really running through uh, the tax code with provisions to provide support uh, for both individuals uh, and businesses uh, and tribes uh, to support the build out of clean energy infrastructure, to create the jobs that go along with that. Uh, and that's a little bit different, I think, than the normal relationship that the federal government has. Uh, it's going to require, I think, a lot of, uh, uh, it, pr uh, it provides a lot of incentive to invest in Indian country. There's a 10% bonus on, for example, clean power projects, wind, solar, geothermal, that are built on, uh, on in Indian country. 10%, maybe that doesn't sound like much, but on a $100 million project, that's $10 million. On a billion dollar project, that's $100 million. So those incentives, both for developers who work with tribes and for the tribes themselves, are very strong, uh, very important. Uh, and the uh, other feature of the law is uh, so something it, it's, uh, for those of you who are uh, used to trying to uh, develop, particularly develop projects in, in Indian country, there's something called direct pay, which is the government will provide direct support in advance of any tax obligation to, uh, that uh, comes uh, after, after the project's online and, and uh, for example, generating power. So uh, I think, I, I, I will just close with one thing. These are sort of different kind of programs. They're gonna really require a different level of commitment by both the government uh, and by uh, uh, tribal governments to uh, be able to uh, get the, the technical expertise to access these financing mechanisms through the tax code, and we wanna, design them in a way that where we're hearing from you, uh, we're working closely with the Treasury Department in doing and issuing guidance, and then we wanna provide the direct assistance to make sure that those programs are reaching the intended recipients to build that uh, core sense, uh, as I said, of, of equity and justice across the country. Thank you very much, John. Um, I'd like now to turn back to uh, Chair Brigham and President Gravel to tell us where you see the greatest potential uh, for your communities to, to leverage, particularly the infrastructure, infrastructure resources, and then when the uh, IRA uh, opportunities become uh, more accessible. Where do you see the opportunities, and what do you uh, see as potential challenges? President Gravel, let me start with you this time. Well, during the pandemic, uh, we had closures, we had schools down. We also found out that uh, we didn't have broadband. I mean, we have, uh, even before the pandemic, we didn't have cell phone in a number of areas. I mean, we had tribal fisheries or habitat workers who would be down in the valley and then they'd have to walk to the top of the hill to call back to the office. And so, but with the pandemic, we found out that our Students were not able to get on the, the internet. We had health services that were not able to, to connect to each other. And so we put in a request and we actually got a $15.5 million uh, broadband um, move approved. And so we're working hard to implement that now. And again, we got two years to get it done. But at the same time, we're going to work really hard to get it done. But, the, you know, 
to provide internet for 342 homes on our reservation. That's a major accomplishment. I mean, that's not all the homes by any means, but that's an accomplishment where these homes never had internet at all. So we're looking forward to um, implementing this project so we can provide that broadband. Now, when it comes to looking at all the other funding sources that are uh, out there, as a lot of the people in the audience know, First Foods is a priority, and many of us have different First Foods, but at the same time, there are traditional foods. And our salmon for the Pacific Northwest is one of our First Foods. And we have been working really hard for decades to try to rebuild the salmon. And one of the things that was done uh, when 1938, the Bonneville Dam was built, said we're going to build a hatchery to mitigate the loss. And then we had several dams built on the Columbia River who were going to mitigate. In the beginning, those hatcheries were looking at how many fish do we release from this, uh, this hatchery. They weren't looking at the survival. They were not looking at how many were returning. And then we finally got that turned around. But now we're looking at hatcheries that need O&M big time. A $1 billion uh, cost to upgrade these hatcheries in the Columbia River. And if these hatcheries were upgraded so that they could meet the requirements of mitigation that was there, then our salmon in the Columbia River would be better off. We're working really hard to improve Simon's survival. We have technicians, we have people now who, who can help us do that. So, but the hatchery mitigation funds is very important. The other thing that we're working on is energy. CTUIR is working on an energy plan. We're gonna review it every five years. And in this plan, we're looking at what's there, what's possible, what do we need, how does it protect the natural resources? How does it follow to Menwa, tribal law? And what do we, how does it fit with our comprehensive plan? So we're not looking at just power because we need it. We're looking at power as to how it is going to protect our environment and be affordable to our tribal community. So there's a lot of plans being done, uh, and we definitely need help. And we're really pleased that the federal agencies are talking to each other about how do we meet the trust responsibility of the tribes. And so I can, all of the people in the audience can remember when we couldn't get two federal agencies in a room. <laughs> so, so it's great now to see the federal agencies talking to each other to how do we meet this trust responsibility to the tribes. And so we want progress just like you. We're not afraid of being accountable, and we want to move forward. So those are just a lot of things. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Chair, Chair Brigham. Thank you, and I'm so excited for the Inflation Reduction Act. I have a lot of ideas for you. Um, and I think it's important to start that, you know, climate change is an indigenous issue, and that's because our lifeways are interwoven in, into the landscape. And so we rely on those relationships with the land and the water and those natural resources. And so uh, as a result of COVID as well, when we were creating that strategic plan for the future, 
Females in Indian community wanted to really focus on how can we pursue renewable energy. Uh, we installed our very first solar panels on our Boys and Girls Club, and we're gonna be installing solar panels on two more facilities with a solar power battery backup. So when we experience a, a power outage, those facilities will still be able to run. And we also recently received um, a clean bus energy grant from the EPA. So our Ojibwe Charter School will have the first electric school bus on reservation and be able to transport in that way. But when I look at the IRA, um, I hope that there's a, a focus on empowerment of tribes in the implementation of the funds, not only technical assistance in finding the funds so that we can implement those programs, but the technical assistance on the ground. If we want to build a, a solar power farm array, um, do we have the necessary training in our staff or our workers so that they can manage that facility? Can we complete energy audits so we understand what is the most efficient energy resource, whether it be wind or solar, uh, for our community? Do we have the ability to enter into power purchasing agreements with local electric companies as we pursue renewable energy? So it's a wonderful start. I think it's gonna be absolutely fantastic, but we do need some assistance in being able to pursue these projects for our nations as well. Great, thank you so much. Um, I wanna open it up to questions in the, about the 17 minutes uh, we have left, and as we do, I hope uh, Mitch, uh, you and, and Jean will uh, weave into your responses, as I know you will, um, the, the kinds of administrative flexibilities and best practices um, that, that you all are employing to, to make it easier for tribes to access uh, these resources. And I'd like to ask uh, Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary uh, Wizapan Little Elk Garriott, Wizzy, thank you, um, to identify folks in. Uh, uh, bring us uh, the questioners. Thank you. 